Today's episode is sponsored by Positive Recovery Centers. Empathy and compassion drive our mission. Positive Recovery uses strengths as a pathway to help others flourish in recovery at work and at home. This is our core purpose, our why. We creatively apply science to improve outcomes. Positive recovery is not wishful thinking, it is not a magic pill, and it is not self-help. Positive recovery is an evidence-based addiction curriculum that links the best of the old with the new, integrating existing effective approaches to treatment with interventions that enhance well-being by cultivating its components, positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, and achievement. Positive recovery centers include medical detox, residential rehab, partial hospitalization, intensive outpatient programs, or IOPs, aftercare, and family workshops. With over 14 locations throughout Texas, they are happy to serve those local and from outside the Lone Star State. Please call Positive Recovery Centers at 877-4-SOBRIETY, and that's spelled S-O-B-R-I-E-T-Y, or 877-476-2743 to take your first step. Or visit them at PositiveRecovery.com. And my father was a drunk. His whole side of the family was uh, were alcoholics. I knew I couldn't take money, although there were times when I would have loved to, but I had too much pride. If I did that, then that would say, oh, Beth, you're, <laughs> you're up on the deep end. Hanging out in the underground places after, you know, after they close, hanging with the wrong people, doing drugs, doing alcohol, of course, was always at the table. Whatever I could do, I did. Truly on my own, I had a couple attempts of suicide because I just, I mean, I, you know, I was a mental midget. I had no coping skills whatsoever. I knew hatred and anger. My name is Anthony Capazzoli, and this is the Dismantled Life Podcast, where we share stories of hope, love, and strength from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety. These are stories from people just like us who have lived through the pain and made it. Well, I'm Harriet Hunter, and um, I was born and raised in western New York, right on, right on Lake Erie, if you will. Um, where I know all about cold and whiteouts and <laughs> blackouts too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know, I grew up in a really, really staunch Italian Catholic. I'm the oldest of five. So at a very young age, my parents divorced, and um, they played the the hide and seek game. My mother left us and took. My two brothers who were babies then in diapers. So she left and for what feels like forever, but it was probably only a couple of years. Um, But it was enough to be traumatizing. You know, my dad would take us three girls and escape to an old uh, farmhouse way out in the country and we could never say our mother's name. And when we were with her years later, we could never say my father's name. It was, it, it was just really horrific. It, there was built-in neglect, built-in abandonment. I was the one always left behind because I was the oldest. So my dad would take the two girls and tell me, just stay here, be quiet, and we'll be back. 
while he went and played this game to get my two brothers. Meanwhile, my mother was doing a round robin on her way to pick up the two girls. Well, while she had him off looking for the ba- for the boys, it was nuts. I was a rageaholic, typical Italian rageaholic, and my father was a drunk. His whole side of the family was uh, were alcoholics. So we, after living with that for a while, it, um, life got worse. You know, the only difference growing up for me between being a full-fledged prostitute uh, was that I came from, my dad was a scotch, very prideful, very uh, never say die. So I knew I couldn't take money, although there were times when I would have loved to, but I had too much pride. If I did that, then that would say, oh, Beth, you're you're up on the deep end. So, you know, my life in my late teens and early 20s was all about hanging out in the underground places after, you know, after they close, hanging with the wrong people, doing drugs, doing alcohol, of course, was always the table. Whatever I could do, I did. And, um, and my life got worse, of course. I was ostracized from the family and um, truly on my own. I had a couple attempts at suicide because I just, I mean, I, I, you know, I was a mental midget. I had no coping skills whatsoever. I knew hatred and anger. Get away from me. Get out of my face. Shut your mouth. Whatever. <laughs> No, that was my M.O., and that's how I stayed alive, really, is just, I don't know, kind of going it alone thing. So can I ask a quick question about that? Um, I also come from uh, an Italian family on both sides, Sicilian on my mom's, uh, from Campania (laughs) on my dad's, Atena Lucana. And so, like you say, very staunch Catholic Italian upbringing. And my mom has always said that her parents – love them both and they're wonderful grandparents, but they also were taught. My mom always would say that they, they were only taught to be wives. They were never taught to live independent or make choices or decisions or coping skills in any way, shape or form, except pray. Um, So I'm, I'm familiar with what you're, what you're saying. And this is in no way, shape or form an an ill word against my grandparents, my mom or anything. I'm just saying that I'm familiar with. No, because it was a whole nother time back then. Yeah, absolutely. It was excommunicated from the Catholic church when she divorced my father, because we're going back in the fifties yeah. and she was communicated from the family. Her, her own parents said, you made that bed. You live in it. Don't here. Don't come here again. Oh yeah. They were tough, tough, tough. Yeah. I am incredibly familiar with that. Uh, And I know just how you, when you say, you made your bed, sleep in it, and we'll never see you again. They mean it. Like, there's no give it a month or two. There, it's you are cut off. Like, that's over. And that's right. That's exactly right. So, my MO is to say, fine. You want to hurt me? I mean, you think you can hurt me? I can hurt me. You watch this. I'll show you what it looks like. Right. I was off. I was gone. <laughs> gone. Yeah, man. So fast forward, you know, I always had really good jobs. I worked 
for legislators. And because I had this great thing going on, I was street girl. I had to look good. My hair was down. You know, I could dance. I, I was cooking. I was cooking. And uh, so I always got good jobs. But the danger with that is I always had to wear a mask. I had a mask uh, on my intelligent mask inside. Oh, my God. I was so I could not talk. Truly, I could not talk at all to anybody who had a college degree because I felt so inferior. I felt so incompetent, stupid, just stupid, you know, really. Yeah. Um, and yet here I was expected to hang and talk to these VIPs, these very important people. And I just... I became a, a workaholic. I just became a worker bee. Just tell me, point me where you want me to go. I'll do what you need to me, but stay out. Don't ask me nothing. <laughs> just let me work. So that's what I did. But I was working for legislators at the time in Albany for the governor's office. And when you work there on session, they own you lock, stock, and barrel. They own you. If they yeah. want you to come in at three in the morning, man, you better be there at three fifteen. So I, I was at the point of my drugging and my drug choice was marijuana, tie sticks, um, anything to do with smoking pills. Oh my God. What kind of pills? I don't care. Right. Will they take me away? I'll take two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were they front? Did you were you did you use those to relax in the evening, or were you functioning during the day with those as well? Oh no! Oh yeah, during the day too. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And back then, it was all about the black beauties, mm. or, and um, I'm trying to think what else different kind different names going on back in the '60s and the early sure. '70s. But um, oh yeah, I love my pills, yeah. and I love smoking. But then I got really paranoid. I got so scared that because I have no sense of smell. So I was terrified people could smell through my pores what was going on. So I got out of there because there's too many cops, too many people around. (laughs) (laughs) Right. In the governor's office in Albany, I would expect that it's loaded with legislators, police, and anybody that can make bad, help you make a bad day, I guess, you know. Every time I walk by somebody, I wouldn't breathe. I nod and smile and keep going. God, don't let them smell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I left and I went to Florida. And um, a a girlfriend of mine met me there like three weeks later and we took up in a place and still do. I mean, you know, it's I I worked the 12-step program. I don't know if you did. And it talks about, uh, you know, change of uh, change of place people, places, and things. And and that's all I did. I picked up and I moved from one place to another. And there I was, man, I was gone. Party and again, party, hardy. And um, I got a good job again down in Fort Lauderdale and met, met my husband. And we were going to get married. And he said to me, you know, I love you and I want to marry you. He says, but he was an ex-cop. He said, but I can't condone your smoking. So it's going to be me or, or the marijuana. And I said, well, can I drink? If I give this up, can I still drink? Oh, yeah, you can drink. 
<laughs> Great. Sold. <laughs> Sold. So what does any good addict do? They double up on what they lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did that all the time. That's yeah. I just I said, well, just do more of that stuff. They'll be that's fine. right. And that's right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that that was what I did. You know, and then I got pregnant and uh, and that was a wonderful thing. But I drank and I and I drank till my daughter was twelve. Do you have children? I have two, yes, an eight and a five year old boy, two boys. Oh God, okay. All right. Well, my daughter was twelve when I quit, but by that time the damage was done. Yeah. And her there was her and her dad, and then there was me. Um, because that's how I lived those 12 years. You know, her dad was her rescuer. She could trust him. She could rely on him. So anyway, she was a very, um, she was a very good musician and um, was in Sydney, Australia at the, uh, at the big center there. The Opera House? Yes, at the Opera House. She was invited with part of a wow. piece, Tallahassee. Yeah, she was tremendous. She was in 11th grade then. That's amazing. That, that, that's uh, yeah. that world-class. That's, that's impressive. It really, really was. It was, the, it was the trip of a lifetime. So we knew that her dad had cancer, but she was so in denial. You know, now she's 17 and she's like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, that's the stock answer of the day. So I said to her, you know, honey, if you got something to say to your dad, now is the time to do it. Yeah. I don't know what, what a week's going to bring, and you're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she never did. And the day he died, she called me that morning on the phone and said, hey, Mom, how's Dad? Oh, my gosh. You know, it was awful. It was awful. One of the worst moments of my life. But, I can imagine. Uh, my other... My other suicide that I wanted to do was here. She's gone. She hated my guts now. She's 18. And, you know, his death was my fault. So she thought. And um, the day he died, I was in, of course, the bedroom. And hospice was there. When hospice took him out, now I'm by myself. And I, I go in the bathroom and lined up on the shelves in the bathroom, was and this is the big one a big like eight ounce bottle of liquid morphine <sighs> uh fentanyl stickers fentanyl patches oxycodone so here's the liquid morphine and here's the oxycodone i'm telling you i walked in that bathroom and that itty bitty shitty committee was just screaming in my ear Beth, come on, come on. We'll stop this right now. You don't ever have to feel again. We will help you, Beth. So devastated, you know. I'll never forget that moment. And uh, I went to pick up the bottle a quick of morphine. And then I swear I had a light bulb moment. I can't tell you what it was, but... I intuitively put it down, turned around, and called my sponsor. And she said to me, listen to my voice. I want you to walk outside. I'll be there in 10 minutes. Don't stop. Keep me on the phone, 
I want to hear that door open. Yeah. Drafts outside. So that's what I did. But she saved my life because I had never, I had never, Anthony, been alone sober. Ever. Ever. This was my, I knew I was going to have to live clean and sober all by myself, alone. And while I had five years under my belt, you see, clean and sober, I was still trying to be the perfect Donna Reed. You know, I'd come in the house, kick off my shoes, start in the kitchen. Everything was homemade. You know, I'm a good Italian mother. Right. Mashed potatoes, homemade beef stew, homemade, homemade, homemade. Trying to prove to my daughter and my husband that I can still, I can still do it. There's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, fast forward. My husband dies. Now my daughter, just like me, takes off for parts unknown. She lands in Missouri and then she goes to Austin, Texas, and who knows where. And finally, she we now we're starting to communicate a little bit more. We got some distance between us. Mm-hmm. And uh, she sent me an email. She says, Mom, I'm going to move to Australia. I said, what? Yeah, right. she met a guy. She met a guy on this World of Warcraft uh, game. Yes. Yeah. So she was as addicted to the gaming as I was to my drug of choice. Mm-hmm. So I said, hey, you know, you're, I can't stop you. If that's what you want to do, honey, who am I? Go have fun. So she was there for a year. And Then she sent me an email and said, I've been holding back. I didn't want to say anything until I knew for sure. She said, but the doctors tell me I have two, two and a half years to live. I have this very little disease, little known disease called IPAW, idiopathic pulmonary arterial hypertension. There's no cure. They don't know. Nobody knows. There's only like 2,200 at the time, 2,200 known cases of IPOM in the States. So I, uh, I went out to Australia, spent some time with her and her boyfriend, and yeah, she was a mess. Yeah, the drugs and the needles, and you had to have this, she had to have this uh, tube, this shunt put in her chest, you know, and uh, the medicine go in and the medicine had to be regulated all the time. It had a battery pack. So it would keep, she couldn't fly home if she wanted to because the pressure in the lungs and the disproportionate on the heart. Anyway, anyway. So I get home and I'm doing my thing. And about a year later, I get a call at night out of the blue and it's her boyfriend. He says, oh, hello, Mrs. Harry. He says, I just just wanted to let you know what's going on. Nonchalant. He says, but Laura's in the hospital. She said, I see you, but just for observation. Hmm. And in my mind says, come on now. What, you think I was born yesterday? Who the hell takes up that precious space? She was there for a week for observation. So I said, I'll be there. I'm leaving. So I quick made a uh, a reservation, you know, paid like double because it's last minute. It's like, whoa, all this and it's not even first class. Anyway, so I fly over there. But here, oh, my God, Anthony. Oh, my God. 
I could tell, I could make this whole show about AA now because they carried me. I was working behind the scenes for OIAA, which is Online International. It's a core group of folks for the world who field all of the calls from people all over the world, from Kenya, from East Jahanga. They want to know, is there a meeting here? If so, where? How do I know my son or child has a problem? All these hundreds of questions. That's what we did. And there was like a core group of 30, 35 of us. So before I left, the day, the day before I left, I put out a call. I said, oh, my God. Okay, I got to think about this. I'm going to Australia, but I don't know anybody in Australia. I'm sure. from Melbourne, but I don't know how to get there. It, it can, is there anybody on our group? So this one woman from Belgium said, I know somebody from right where you're going, from Melbourne. Let me get in touch with him, and I'll see if he'll talk to you. So that same afternoon, I get an email. His name is Russell. God bless him. He he uh, called me or sent me an email one, but we got to hold a touch of each other. He picked me up at the airport, $25 to park at the air, park at the airport while he's waiting for me. Oh my God. So I paid him. He took me quick to the hospital and now I don't have a place to stay. So I see my daughter and I stay there all day. And um, then I, I find an AA meeting and I tell them my situation that I'm from the States. This is what's going on. They said, oh, my God, you just stay right where you are. We'll have a woman pick you up, say six o'clock. OK, I'm like, that'd be great. Yeah. So she picked me up and said, well, where would you like to go? I said, I have no idea. I have an address for a hostel. I'll take me here, if you will. She said, oh, no, 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 you're coming to my house. I said, I can't do that. No, honey, thank you. So I went to the hostel, stayed there for two days. I thought I would die. I'm in a room with three other men, okay, in these bunk bed things with no air, with no heat, and it's winter in Australia. Right. Oh, needless to say, I sleep with my shoes, my my clothes, my socks. Right. Yeah, it was nuts. So she picks me up in, uh, a couple of days later for another meeting and asked me, you know, and would I like to, because I was welcome to go to her house. I said, sure. Right. Yes. You know, on second thought, I think yeah. I picked up on the offer. Thank you. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I, I did that. And it was just miraculous. I met this couple in the uh, waiting room. I had no phone. I was in such a hurry that I, I don't know where am I left without my phone. And I'm freaking out because I got to call my mother. So the woman said, don't worry about it. She said, come with me. And she knew my she knew my predicament. I was just boohooing the whole time. And uh, we walked over in the hospital. They have their own pharmacy there. And in the pharmacy was a kiosk. And she said, "I want you to pick out pick out a phone that you like." And uh, she said, 
don't, don't, don't argue with me. You are one of our comrades from the States. We love you. The Aussies. Oh my God. Such wonderful people. This is amazing. It is. She bought me a phone and then she bought me $50 worth of free time. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. How wonderful. And AA saved my life. Um, My daughter never came out of the hospital. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. She would have been 26 that year. She was 25. And, uh, but you know, I learned, I learned so many lessons then. I knew I couldn't drink and I couldn't drug. But by God, I could still act out. Don't you know, I went on Craigslist and tried to get laid and that didn't work. (laughs) That's how I knew. (laughs) Isn't that awful? But I had to do something. I was dying. My daughter just died. Oh, my God. I was. imagine. Oh, honey, no, no, you can't. No, it's uh, it's it's seven years now, so I can separate myself a little bit and find a little levity. But um, the next day I went to AA and I told them, you know, uh, my daughter passed because mm. I had been with them almost every day and everybody's, how you, how is she? How is she? Blah, blah, blah. It was a trip. It was a trip and a half, man. Gosh, but, that's a, a great, like, I'm. It was a trip. I'm, it's amazing. Oh. Um, it's it, the grind of this is uh, is I can't even imagine living it. I'm just hearing it is really hard for me from an emotional perspective. So I'm struggling a little bit. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, it, oh, there are no words. But here's the miracle that I that I found out. The miracle of that trip was every day I would sit there because she, you know, she could hardly breathe. If she said 10 words to me in a day, it was a lot. I was just there for her. And every night I would put my hand on her head and we would say the, the Our Father. And I'd put her, my arm, she'd put, grab my left, my right arm. So, you know, it was like this. And while I was sitting there during the day, I would journal. I'm a journaling fool. And I wrote, God, I know if you brought me to this, you will get me through it. I think I wrote that about a thousand times. And because all I could do was journal and pray and pray and journal. And um, I'd go home and I'd send the family letters at night. But the last day, here's another miracle. The day that she died, I... uh, I don't know why I changed up the prayer a little bit. I don't know why. So I had my hand on her head as always and said a prayer and started. I didn't say uh, the Our Father this time. I said a prayer from my heart. Dear God, I know you've been with my daughter now and, and she's so tired, God. And then I said, if it's your will. And at that second, Anthony, God strike me dead. At that second, her eyes flew open. She looked and I looked and right above us was a swirl of cloud. I kid you not. And I know now because other people have told me that was the angels prepare. And that night she died. 
Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much my story, you know, and then I get home. I didn't know what to do with myself now. I felt like, oh, my God, it's just me and my dogs. And my dogs were getting tired of me hugging them. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? So I had to get out of Dodge. I bought a, a small RV, a 22-footer, took the dogs and never done it before in my life. And we went cross country for seven weeks. And during that seven weeks, it was the best time of my life. There's a step in the 12 steps. It's called um, improving your conscious contact with God. And it's step 11. Those seven weeks, I became closer to my God than I ever had. And I st- and my writing started to become stories. Uh, I did a page on grief, of course, only because you have young ones. We were parked at the foothills of that huge, huge thing in, uh, in the 2001 Space Odyssey. You look up and here's this monstrous rock. It was just magnificent. And I. it was a gorgeous day, one of the most perfect days in all of seven weeks. I sat in my chair all day long, cried and wrote and wrote and cried. And over next to me comes this little four-year-old boy. Hmm. And he puts his arms around me and gives me a hug. And he said, my mommy told me you needed this. it was the most precious moment um so that i'm I'm saying all this to say that is where miracles came from this is my book miracles of recovery it's a 365 day inspirational each day has different stories And um, can I read you one story? Please. I would love that. Oh, I want you to hear if I'm not ready. Um, I should have been. No, no, no. This is this is wonderful. Um, Okay, it'll give me a chance to compose myself for a second because I am a little bit emotionally. Bless you, honey. Bless you. All right. This one's called saying goodbye to addiction. I always knew I was on a slippery slope. The seductive lure of addiction no longer held excitement for me. The monster turned its back on me one more time. But this time, I felt in my bones a deadening cold betrayal. Filled with hate and anger, a suffocating fear consumed me like a virus. I infected everything and everyone in my path. Addiction had rejected me. No longer could I touch that ease and comfort place on the mountaintop where I reigned strong, omnipotent, untouchable. I could no longer get there, feel the thrill, or hide behind the fraud that was my sickness. My mind pulsed with confusion and twisted thoughts of insanity. I couldn't drink, but I couldn't not drink. I stood at the jumping off place called a living hell. Alone, insane, I wanted to die. My best thinking 
held me, trapped in a downward spiral of death. I gave up. I quit. AA was my last hope. I dissolved into sobs of surrender. A calming force drew me into the group, and for the first time in my life, I belonged. I had hope. I cannot explain the miracle of hope that found me that day, but each day, sometimes one hour at a time, I wanted to live just a little more than I wanted to die. The fellowship loved me until I could love myself. The place in my soul where death called my name receded, and I began to trust the process that's recovery. Sobriety through the steps, its fellowship, and a higher power that I call God sustains my thinking today, just for today. I stay clean and sober and free. And the meditation is, thank you, God, for my life. And then there's a little quote. This is the layout. And there's a little quote after each uh, prayer. And this one is from Cassio Leo. Saying goodbye to the things that cause you pain sometimes means saying goodbye to the things and the, and the people, the addictions that once brought you pleasure. So that's what, just one of the reads. It's full of, Anthony, this book really is, is from a holistic viewpoint because it talks about living life on life's terms. It talks about um, relationships with others at work. Step 11, of course, the, all the steps are in here. Stairway to serenity. It's not about me. I love that. I do too. Yeah, man. Yeah. Because everything was about me. Was it about you too? Always. <laughs> everything was about me. That's the seed of pain that they don't tell you about until you discover it yourself that the alcohol, the cocaine, and the cigarettes make no matter, even if you don't want it to be about you, it's about you because you're so. I was a selfish ass because all I did is oh that God. I chased that and only that, and I disregarded everything else because yep. of that. Yep. And everybody. And everybody. everybody. And, and thankfully, I'm, I'm blessed with a wife who supports me and stuck with me through it in a good way. And and loves me. And, and quite like this show, I, I have to say, this is serendipity at its finest and positive karma. Because if I end the show today after our episode, I will call myself accomplished because this has been a tremendous experience for me. Uh, oh, and, your book, and you're sharing your book truly, Harriet, um, amazing. I thank you so much. My gosh, I like I, I am speechless and I shouldn't be because I'm the host of the show, but I, I have... Nothing to add, nothing to ask. This oh. has been the most wonderful experience I could have ever hoped for. And sometimes things just come together because they're supposed to come together. And I, this is one of those moments. Yes, 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 honey. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Let me share with you, too, in your audience, another miracle after, after my book on this journey. I fell upon this place for you and your audience and me called intherooms.com. This is a membership, free membership of over 700,000 people all across the world. 
and they have meetings. I'm telling you, I tell the newcomer there, if you don't find what you're looking for here, it doesn't exist. <laughs> right. They got, I mean, they got A-C-A, N-A, S-A, O-A, you name it, they got it. And I'm doing a show there. They gave me my own room to do miracles every Sunday at two o'clock. I love it. Miracles of recovery. I do a page every Sunday. Uh, I love this. And I am, count me in. And and perhaps what I'd love, if you wouldn't mind sending me the details via the DM and Twitter that we've been sharing or email. If it's okay with you, I'd like to include it in the show notes so listeners can click through and join. Wonderful. I tell you, it truly is. They have got something for everybody. And I love that. It's amazing. It's an amazing place. And Harriet, thank you for, first of all, this is earlier in the morning than I normally uh, record the show. So what a wonderful way to start my day. I know, I know. And I, I feel like I've now have a wonderful friend in you and I've thoroughly enjoyed our time oh, together. Man. And I'm going to bug you often, uh, Harriet, so you're going to get sick of me, I think, because I, I have yeah. really yeah. enjoyed getting to know you. Thank you, honey. You too. And you. I would like, here's what I would love to do. My book covers every topic imaginable. Fear, anger, uh, detachment, denial. I've got 20 pages probably on fear. fear I'm happy to do a topic from the book and expound upon it. Um, Whatever, you know. I would love it. I would love it. And count this We'll definitely make that happen. Um, and we'll trade some emails and maybe jump on a call or two to work out the details to, to make it easy, easiest for you. And we'll absolutely positively oh, make that happen because I think it's wonderful. Thank you, Anthony. You of know, course. I'm only alive today, honey. I'll tell you the real truth. I am alive for one reason and one reason only because I have... I. I tell people, Jesus Christ, use me. I, I'm rotting over here. You know, it's to be of service. If I can't be of service, what the hell am I sucking air for? <laughs> I totally understand that. And um, I love yeah, it. I, I think maybe, uh, first of all, you're a wonderful person. and But I have a kinship with you because of our Italian background. You remind me of my everyone in my family. And I, I am so... <laughs> excited about our our future journey together in this regard where we can talk about these topics from your book and share those experiences on the air together on different episodes but this has been truly truly wonderful and i am so grateful that i i really can't put it into words beyond saying thank you and i appreciate everything you know thank you it's a god thing it's a god thing that i found you it's a god thing that he allowed you the room and the time to to hear me and it's a god thing that we relate so yeah i I thank him and i thank you thank you so very much for being on the show and i have had the best morning i've had in the the longest time i can remember Mm, that's wonderful i'm honored thank you and so is my god thank you mine too thank you (laughs) 